Hey, welcome to No One Told Me, where we believe hindsight is everything. My name is Callie, and if it is your first time hanging out with us, here's what we do every single week. We want to take the experiences of those who are ahead of us and who have been through the things that maybe we're going through right now, and we want to turn around and say, hey, I've been there, I've experienced that, I have felt that, I have walked through that, and here's what I did. I hope that by the end of this conversation, you feel a little less alone and that you find a whole library full of men and women who have gone ahead of you and who are turning around in the hopes of walking with you now. So today I'm super excited because this is a topic that I love talking about. I can talk about all the time. It's leadership. And I don't know why. I just, there's always something to learn. And a couple of years ago, I was having coffee with a friend and I said, I always don't know how to lead like the women who are coming behind me to help set them up. And she gave me a book and it was by my new friend, Katie Cole, about leading female leaders. I probably butchered that name, but that was the premise of it was how do you lead female leaders? So I reached out to Katie and now Katie is here with us today. Katie, we're so excited to have you. Thank you, Kelly. I'm really excited to be with you today. I told her that the the first thing I had to talk about was she has this beautiful wallpaper, like a huge wall, just of all wallpaper behind her and these beautiful bookshelves. And she said there was a story to it. So I said, you have to wait until I hit record to share the story of your wall. Because wallpaper is a big commitment. I mean, it's very much in right now, but it's so hard to decide what you're going to do an entire wall with. It is, and it can get really expensive, too. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's, yeah. Is it so stick-on, or is it the old this, school? You see, no, it's not stick-on. It's actually four curtains from oh. Lowe's. So this is like a $150 project with a staple gun that is happening back here. And actually, this used to be a bedroom, and I put this backdrop in for the bedroom. And as I was converting it to my office and I pulled the bed out, I was like, oh, please have done behind the bed. Like I could just see myself getting lazy, like yep. taking shortcuts because mm-hmm. I never thought anyone would see it, quote unquote. And I was so proud of myself that I actually finished the whole wall and could just, you know, go right into my office space. So, yeah, it's was it, good. That wasn't was, yeah, that a relief well. when you pulled that bed away and saw, thank goodness, because I don't know I that I could find this. I feel again. like I had my parents, you know, mantra in my mind, like, if you're going to do something, do it right. You oh, know, it must have been like, in my, and I was like, they're so right when it comes to those things. You know what I do that with? <laughs> so when my husband has meetings, so usually he can dress pretty casually for work, but when he has meetings and he needs me to iron his shirts that he's going to wear under a blazer. I hate ironing. Like to the point my daughter, when she was little, got an iron for Christmas, like a toy one. And she didn't know what it was. She <laughs> literally was like, what is this? And so I will iron just the front of his shirts, like the front, that, the you're, part you're that not will allowed show. You're take your jacket off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you might start sweating. I'm sorry, but this is the best I can do for you. I'm just going to iron so great. the front. But hey, tell us a little bit about your family. Doing yes, your I'm thing. a full empty nester. So I ended up with one son. He is 20 years old. He's at college in oh. Orlando. So, so he's kind of close, right? Because He's close. He's a couple hours away, maybe two, two and a half, three hours away, which is close, but not too close. Although mm-hmm. spontaneously, he called me last night. You catch me on a really good mom day. He talked to me for three hours about his life. This is a kid who barely replies to text messages, let, does not like to talk on the phone. I'm not sure what got into him, but I was worried at first, you know, when you get a phone call. And then he just mm-hmm. had all these things to tell me. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. See, I have um, a girl and two boys. And I always kind of uh, dread the day when they get to the age where they think they don't have to talk to me anymore. They're just kind of like on their own. And I'm like, no, I'm your best friend. You talk to me. Right. You tell me everything. You know, it's such a it's a it's a tricky game we play. But I want to track your trajectory just a little bit. Because when I started researching for this episode, I was like, she has 
literally done everything. Right? I have a very eclectic <laughs> background, especially professionally. <laughs> yes. I mean, it just absolutely fascinated me. But also now this generation, I would say millennials and Gen Z, we're used to switching gears, right? That's not that's not crazy for us to just go to a completely different career field, especially since the pandemic in in particular, where people had all these epiphanies of, I don't even want to do this job anymore. Right. But you did this before any of us were really doing it. So you started, <laughs> you went to school as a nurse, right? And then you transitioned out of that down a path of leadership role. So how did you know when it was time to kind of change these lanes and shift into something new? Well, I yeah, I went to college. I actually thought I was going to be a teacher. And I didn't really realize I didn't have a vision for my future or for a career. I, we were a blue collar kind of family. And I just, it never dawned on me. And no one ever sat and had a conversation with me about like, what are the options or what are the opportunities? I just sort of knew some things in front of me. And I'd been in school my whole life. So teaching felt right. You know, then I got to college and I did. I switched to nursing mostly because I I knew I wanted to serve people. I thought I would be sort of an overseas missionary. I ended up breaking up an engagement with a future pastor. That's another whole story. But went to nursing, thought I'd be single my whole life and, you know, be on, be on the mission field. And I was on scholarship. So I had to work in a hospital in the VA system when I graduated. That's what brought me to Florida from Seattle. And so I started working in the VA hospital. I ended up getting a job as a psych nurse, which is very Wow. Unusual. Yeah. I loved it though. And from there, I served as at my church with a vice president of our local Christian university who then recruited me to be the nurse on campus, run the health center. And I think in all of those places, high school, college, my early professional life, I just sort of wanted to maximize the opportunity in front of me. I knew God had sort of like given me this ground, you know, so to speak, to carry. I didn't really have words for it, but I'm like, I just wanted to build something. I'm a, I'm a natural builder. Mm -hmm. I like to move things forward. I just always wanted to create opportunities to help people. Mm -hmm. That was very natural for me. And so eventually I got promoted to dean of students. So I oversaw all of our residential life and our discipline system, our health and wellness, our trips and leadership development systems. And those were all just natural. They seemed natural for me to just take the next step in sort of moving up the ladder, I guess mm -hmm. is how I yeah. would think of it. Looking back now, I think I had a very good sense of the gifts that God had given me. I knew I could organize things. I knew I could plan things. It was pretty easy for me to see strategy. I knew how to make things happen. I was a very hard worker. It was pretty logical to me how to stay within a budget, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So as I grew in leadership, I added on skills like how to build a team, how to hire someone well, how to fire someone well, you know. I wasn't great at those things when I first got started, but, you know, you practice enough yeah. to start to pick up things about it. And so in terms of like knowing what the next step was, I just always felt very centered in my walk with God that he would open a door for me when it was time for me to do a next thing. Mm -hmm. And there were some times I got myself in over my head or I overcommitted. I think the deanship was probably a lot for me. And I was only 25. Oh, I, wow. Um, my leader was on maternity leave and we were kind of taking over a department that had had a major turnover of staff. That was, I was probably in over my head. I looked confident maybe, which is why they gave me the job, but I really didn't have the skill sets and I wasn't good at asking for help mm -hmm. or getting support. And so I, I really just prayed that God would rescue me from that job basically. Yeah. And so when I had another job opportunity, my church recruited me to come on staff. I was like, no problem. I'm there. Like, this is not, this is not for me. What yeah. I'm doing right now is too stressful. Parents were like suing me because I kicked their kids out for smoking bongs in the bathroom. You know what I mean? I'm like, How dare I'm you? 
And now I'm like 50. I'm like, oh, I would love that job now. (laughs) That it was actually a really great job for me. I just didn't have enough like experience and thick skin to be able to actually, you know, navigate these kind of like very emotionally pressureful situations. Yeah. But yeah, those are just kind of a couple examples. That's how I got into full-time ministry. (laughs) First, what I think is kind of impressive to me is that this all happened up until what, 25? Okay. So the certainty of those decisions, have you always been pretty certain? I think my process has always been, since I became a Christian, I would say, I think before I was a Christ follower, I was insecure and unsure about everything. Sure. But once I really gave my life to the Lord and I had grown up in church and so I had a good framework. So my, my salvation was like, I was full on. I knew the lifestyle I was choosing when I followed Christ. And so for then, it was really about surrender and obedience. I think obedience has been probably the top spiritual longing of Mm -hmm. my heart since I was 15. And so for me, I spend a lot of time thinking through decisions, praying through them, processing them. Like I said, strategy is one of my gifts. And Mm -hmm. so I'm thinking, playing it forward. How will I feel about that? What will I like about that? What will people think? What, What do I think about what people think? You know, I'm, so I spend a lot of time making a decision, but once I make a decision and I feel like this is what God has for me, I really don't look back. Yeah. I might I might be scared. I might wonder, what in the heck am I doing? Can I even do this? I might question my ability to fulfill it, but I don't really question the decision. And I'm, I've learned through the years to not really move on something till I know that I know that I know God mm-hmm. is calling me to it. And I would say even so in the pandemic, in the last few years of your life, I went through a whole series of losses, particularly my family life that really kind of like they sort of shifted my foundation a little bit. And so I spent several years not making big decisions because when you're in crisis and you've had big losses, like I lost both my parents, my son left for college, you know, things Mm -hmm. like that. They're pretty life changing Mm -hmm. losses or changes to not make any big decisions based on emotion. And so I think I probably held back a little bit. But now that I'm sort of coming out of that, I find that kind of resolution piece of myself coming back to life again. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to do this. I'm going to go for it. I don't know how it'll work out, but I know God will work it out one way or another. Even if it looks like failure to other people, obedience is never failure for me. Mm -hmm. And that's what matters most. Oh, that's so good. You know, I'm thinking about 25-year-old Katie, who (laughs) probably was a little bit desperate to get out of that position because it sounds like you realized in the moment. I don't know that I want to be the dean of student. I was life. getting burned out. I was in over my head for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, even myself, two years ago, I got to that wall where I was like, okay, this feels very emotional, but I have to separate the emotion out of it. How do you separate? This is just pure obedience or this is just I'm in a lot of emotion. Like you said, after a crisis, there's a lot of emotion. I'm not going to make a big decision at that point. How did you learn to start filtering that? That's a great question. And I would just say, I think humans make decisions out of emotions. Yes. I don't think this is a female thing. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we make decisions for different emotions than men sure. do maybe, yes. but not all of them. So, I mean, we are emotional creatures. Mm-hmm. And so that is a huge piece of even what we have to listen to as we're making decisions, mm-hmm. as well as what to not listen to. So the way I think about emotions is that the presence of an emotion or a feeling, especially a really deeply sad one or like a negative one or even a really happy one, really, you have to pay attention to that. Like, why am I feeling this way? But it's more for the why. What we can't listen to is the volume, Mm. because what I've learned is that sometimes a very small thing sounds and feels very, very big. Mm -hmm. So the volume is huge. 
But when I really stop and kind of get out of my emotions and put my thinking cap on and, you know, maybe get a good night's sleep or sit down and rest for a minute or, you know, talk to a friend, yeah. or, you know, go for a run or whatever I need to do to kind of get the emotional energy out. When I really think about it, I'm like, OK, so this one guy said one mean thing to me in a meeting that really made me feel bad. I felt embarrassed. It made me feel ashamed about whatever I did. Like I was my reaction was pretty ginormous, but it was one guy saying one dumb thing and half the room knew he was just being a jerk. Mm-hmm. Like, why? that's not a reason to quit my job, yeah. right? But then sometimes there are things that are actually very quiet, but they're ongoing. And so like, gosh, I feel anxious every time I go into this thing mm-hmm. or this type of meeting or working with this person. And it's it's small. I can put it down. I can put it to the side and move forward. But the fact that it keeps showing up, even in quiet ways, I still have to ask myself, why am I feeling that? Mm-hmm. Is there is there a spiritual something going on that I'm not paying attention to? Do I have something? Do I have unforgiveness in my life? Is there something from my past that's getting triggered? Do I just have I just decided I don't like that person? Is there something relational between mm-hmm. us that I need to resolve in order to move forward? You know, it could be a thousand things, but the fact that it's there, whether it's loud or soft necessitates me paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. Once I pay attention to it and understand why those feelings are there, it's really amazing how the intensity of them fades. And now I've just got facts. Okay, so this is a difficult kind of personality for me to work with. The fact that I sit next to them in a cubicle and they talk to me all day long is a pretty major reason why I might want to change my job, mm-hmm. right? Or I say, this is a difficult personality for me. Thank you, Lord, that I only have to interact with them twice a month in a group meeting. And I just need to figure out how to navigate that and grow some skill sets around emotional management Mm. in meetings with difficult people. Yeah. Right. Both of those are great outcomes. They have really different consequences. And if I'm mixing that up, I'm staying in a job that's harmful to me over time, Mm. or I quit a job because once or twice a month, I have a difficult moment. Neither one of those are the real reasons to make a job change. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. There's so much right there that I mean, honestly, we could end the podcast right now and just leave that. I mean, that's all you need. But, <laughs> the volume of emotions done. <laughs> but if you and we might we can we can circle back to this question because you might have to think about it for a second. But if you could go back to that 20 something year old Katie and be like, hey, in hindsight, here's a couple things we need to keep in mind. Like as we're leading, as we are thrust into these leadership positions, here are just a couple things that you know, you wish you had learned maybe sooner. Positions. Oh, gosh, I would tell her so many things. Well, the first thing, and I think this is important for most, uh, especially younger leaders out there, or even if you're not young in age, but young in leadership, Mm -hmm. is that you are going to have a big, full leadership life. I wish at 25, I didn't feel in such a hurry. Uh, I think I I was scared if I don't take advantage of this opportunity, no more opportunities will come. Mm -hmm. Or if I if I hold back a little bit or don't give it my all every single day. Now, we have to work hard. We have to be in it. But I was probably a little, I kind of was went through life like, if Jesus comes back next year, have I maximized, yes. you know? Well, now I'm 50. I'm like, well, it's been 25 years. He hasn't come back yet. Yeah. Maybe I can slow down <laughs> a little bit. So I just, I wish I would, I wish what somebody would have said to me, Katie, why don't you actually pace your life like you're going to live to be 100? Mm-hmm. Instead, I was pacing my life that I was going to live to be 35. Oh, wow. And yep. I just, for whatever reason, I don't know what that is. I'm sure we could analyze it of why I thought I wouldn't have a full adult life, but yeah. I, I really didn't think I would. Mm-hmm. And so I was on a, on a rush. So I wish I would, if someone would have said, pace yourself for your whole life. I think also I probably would have, 
I think I would have told myself that you actually do a really good job in a lot of ways and you're above average. I think Mm. I just always felt like I was normal and very average, which is great for humility, but it's not great in terms of actually maximizing who you are. So like when I switched from teaching to nursing in college, that was a humongous risk. Like I came from a family of teachers. It felt it felt like a doable job. I knew I could do it. I knew the job because I'd been in school forever and my mom was a teacher. And so I was like, I know I can do this job. Mm-hmm. When I went to nursing, I was like, I think there might be more in me. And I think there's a science side of my brain that God gave me that I want to kind of like stretch and see if I can use. And it felt like a humongous risk. Yeah. Now I look back, um, having spent my nursing years tutoring all my pre-med roommates, <laughs> I now look back and go, why didn't I ever, it never even dawned on me I could go to medical school. I actually would have been a fantastic doctor. Yeah. My basic um, process in leadership and consulting is go in, diagnose, write a prescription, follow up care. Like okay. I do doctoring <laughs> all the time in leadership. I'm like, I'm actually wired for that. And I was very good at science. Like I, I won a bunch of science fairs growing up and stuff. Like I knew I was good at science and, but it wasn't even on my radar. Like mm-hmm. I didn't realize that the kind, that getting straight A's was unique. Yeah. I didn't realize that being the president of every club in high school was unique mm-hmm. or extra. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, it, I kind of just felt like I was normal or a little, a little below normal trying to kind of be average. And so I think for a lot of people out there, the way we grade or judge or measure ourselves is oftentimes not accurate. Mm -hmm. And the reality is everyone's pretty exceptional and extraordinary in their own way. And so to recognize what is extraordinary about you, you know, and realize that is above average. Mm -hmm. And so what do you want to do with skill sets that are above average? Because I believe, I believe scripture teaches God gives us skill sets and abilities and capacities that are above average that we are supposed to maximize for the body and for our careers and for the world. And so so to find that and then do extraordinary things with it and not world changing. You got to do everything like not pressureful, just like that's going to be amazing. So don't be afraid to go for it because you're probably going to really succeed in those things. Yeah. So that's probably my second one. And then my last one is I had three for you. So my last one is my first 360 feedback form when I was a director in at that university. I got super high marks from every single person except all of the people who were secretaries because I was just not conscious of all the people around me. Mm-hmm. I was really focused on the meetings. I was really focused on my job description and my responsibilities. And I kind of felt like chit-chatting with people was robbing the university of what I was being paid for. Like, yeah. That felt like I'm like, I'm not being paid to chit chat about my weekend or sit and have coffee with people. I'm being paid to produce. And so for me, it felt like an integrity thing to not take time. But, uh, you know, I bolster into an office to have a meeting and walk right by three people sitting Mm -hmm. at desks. And they just thought I was the rudest, most, you know, I don't don't know, probably lots of words I shouldn't (laughs) say on a podcast like this. But I'm like, that's pretty much what they thought of me. And and really, to be honest, that's what I was portraying. Mm-hmm. That was certainly not my heart. And it certainly isn't who I am. But I didn't really understand how to be like a human among humans. Yeah. And so I wish I would have learned that lesson oh a little earlier or how to like walk with a smile or slow down or show up early to a meeting just so you have time to chit chat. Yeah. Like, 
that it took me till my 40s to realize that was actually important to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will. My husband often comments on the pace that I move from one thing to the next and like how fast I walk. He's like, you're just short of running. Like you're almost running. And I realized when I do that, no one tries to talk to you. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes you're like, I right. don't want you to talk to me right now. But a lot of times it was off-putting to people. Like, but what if I want to have a conversation with you? You're not open to it. You're not available for it. So that's I think just that's so it, valid. That, that openness and availability. And I think a lot of the leadership kind of literature I was reading at the time and people I was listening to were talking about like, put change in people's pockets, be nice to them, yeah. have a conversation. But it felt so manipulative. Yes. Like I'm only yeah. being nice to you so that when I need something, you'll mm -hmm. give it to me. I didn't like that. And I'm like, I'm not going to put on pretense just yeah. so you'll help me. Um, but I think I missed what resonated with my heart, which was like, oh, yeah. And in your workday, you could actually be loving like Jesus was loving. Yeah, sure. I remember the first time someone said to me, you know, Jesus was never on time and he was often mm -hmm. late. And I was like, I'm pretty sure punctuality is in the Bible. And I looked for it multiple times. <laughs> like I read it cover to cover a few times. Cannot find it, which is much to my chagrin. So I really had to kind of just rework myself and be like, I actually do want to be Christ-like, even as I'm on my way to a meeting, even as I'm about to. And I think a lot of it was I was nervous about the meeting. And so I was focused. Yeah. And I didn't want to forget anything. But yeah, slowing down, being a human is way better for everyone, including myself. Do you think even going back to, you know, one of the first things that you said when you said, you know, like you have a longer lifespan than you think you do. Do you mm -hmm. think it's a common uh, pattern now of people for whatever reason, especially when they're trying to get on some sort of trajectory, this fear of being left behind, like, I'm going to miss it. If I don't do everything that's available now, I'm going to miss it, or I'm going to be left behind, or I'm not going to get to do what I really want to do. And so then you find leaders who are burnt out sooner than you would ever imagine them to be. Do you think that's kind of a common sentiment even now? I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I mean, I think of Peter in the New Testament, just like always a little ahead of God, mm -hmm. you know, and just like wanting to like take action when it wasn't really time. So I think it's a human condition. I would probably articulate it as uh, leadership immaturity looks different in different kinds of people. And for the most part, immaturity is always living on the extremes. Healthy, mature lives in the middle in mm -hmm. moderation, right? So a healthy, like well-rounded, mature leader is going to be on task, but they're also going to have time to connect with people. Mm -hmm. They are not going to want to miss an opportunity, but then they're not going to be afraid of being of missing something mm -hmm. or that another chance will never come around. Right. So there's this healthy balance of like abundance and scarcity yeah. or uh, being left behind, but not being lazy. I think traditionally, when you talk about leadership gifts, like those Romans 12 uh, kinds of leadership gifts, administration, leadership, apostleship, those kinds of more mm -hmm. forward facing, you know, rally people kinds of, of giftings. Uh, for women and men, I usually talk about leadership immaturity looks different. Mm -hmm. For women, I definitely think women, um, partly from conditioning in our society and um, especially the more conservative environment you grow up on, mm -hmm. there is sort of this always this fear like this is probably the only chance I'll get. Mm -hmm. This is my one opportunity. If I blow this, I blow all future options. It's It can be more scarcity feeling because we don't see a lot of women in leadership mm -hmm. and we haven't grown up with that. And so it sort of feels like we're always a little behind a little trying to scrape onto something. And if we don't grab hold of it and hold on tight and give it everything we have. So we tend to overdo. We over prepare. Mm -hmm. 
we over communicate, we, you know, show up too fast, we go too far, you know, it's just we're, we're trying to prevent the loss. From yeah, it. Oh, that's good. most men I found in their immaturity are on the other side, they're a little arrogant. And so most of our cultures, especially church cultures, have a lot more patience for arrogant young leaders. There's like this young kid who's like fresh out of seminary, he's 22. And he's like correcting my message. And He's trying to coach me on something. And I'm just like, you know what? Like, go, go back, go back to seminary, mister. Like, or whatever. And so, you know, or they feel like they should be the senior pastor or they can preach much better than the lead pastor can. And why aren't they on the video giving announcements? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they just, they think of themselves as having more than they have. Women tend to think of themselves as having less than they have. Men Mm -hmm. think of themselves, generally speaking, these are stereotypes, more than themselves. Our cultures are much more, used to and welcoming for immaturity and male leaders we like even i look at him i'm like you're kind of cute i can't wait till you <laughs> get fired from you. your first you job are just I so, know, sweet. Like, so you know we have a capacity for it for female leaders we don't have as much capacity we kind of tend to label them as super bossy mm-hmm. way too intense too much we feel like we're too much so people take us out of the opportunities we take ourselves out of opportunities mm-hmm. And it's just, we have to grow into it. We have to learn how to navigate a meeting. We have to learn how to cast a vision. We have to learn how to slow down so we bring everybody with us, not just the people who already came in pre-ready to say yes to us. So all of those things are skill sets and we have to give ourselves as much grace as anybody to be able to learn how to do these things. Yeah. So how do you learn how to do those things? You know, you we've already touched on it a little bit, but like maybe you're super passionate about it and it comes across as like overly confident. How do you learn to read a room and know mm-hmm. when to speak up and when to hold back? Yeah, I think the two guardrails I like to think of are being fully honest and fully honoring at the same time. Mm, Those are kind of the two tensions. So it's like truth and love. I talk about it as honest and honoring when it comes to leadership Mm -hmm. environments. It's kind of the living out of truth and love in those spaces. And so when a topic comes up or someone asks your, your opinion, it's important that you be really honest and give your full opinion. But how you do it is in a very honoring way. Mm-hmm. So we don't demand things. We don't interrupt other people. Although sometimes in leadership spaces, the culture is one of interruption. So if everyone's interrupting, feel free to interrupt. If everyone's speaking loudly, feel free to speak loudly. I think the thing we want to remember is we have to appeal to our audience in the language of our audience. Mm-hmm. And what's sometimes challenging for women as they get into leadership for the first time is different rooms have different kinds of culture around leadership. So the way you lead your team for in whatever your department is, is going to probably be a very different culture than if you get called to the executive team in a budget meeting, Mm -hmm. right? They Mm -hmm. probably move faster. They are more interruptive of one another. They're moving along quickly. If you have something to say, you better interject it. They aren't Mm going to go around the table and make sure everyone had their chance. I mean, some churches are super like spiritual directive oriented and they'll like take time for everyone. But most of us like, we're just getting stepped on. If you yeah. got something, you better say it or we're moving on in two seconds. So so you have to kind of play a different, you have to like show up with different tools in your toolbox. And so part of what you're talking about is what tools do I use in which room? Yeah. yeah. So you want to make sure in your toolbox, you got all of them. So if if you're not very good at speaking up, then give yourself normal daily opportunities to speak up. When you're in a conversation with someone close to you and they're like, what restaurant do you want to go to? And you probably don't care. I don't care that you don't care. Care about it mm-hmm. and say what you want to go. Like, think about what you want and ask for what you want. And no one really cares. And if someone blows over you, no problem. And if they don't like it, that's okay. 
but practice saying the things that you want in normal everyday ways. When you think back to each position, like as you, you know, we've talked about how you switched lanes multiple times. How did you reorient yourself in each position, right? Because you have to relearn something because you're with new people. And whether you're a team lead or on a team, you kind of have to take a minute to figure everybody out. But also, what were some of your biggest obstacles as you continue to grow and navigate mm-hmm. your way through mm-hmm. leadership? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I love to learn. And so I think if you're someone who loves to learn, that's probably the best posture to have in mm-hmm. any new role or team or opportunity or you know, organization is to just be like, I can't wait to learn all that I need to know for this job. I can't wait Mm -hmm. to learn the stories of all of these people. I can't wait to understand why we do things the way that we do. And so, you know, anytime you transition, no matter what it is, a volunteer role that, you know, is three hours a month or a brand new career in a new industry that you're going to be in for 30 years, that you want to take the time to really get to know who's a part of things, how do things work, why do they work the way they do. One of the best leadership lessons uh, I ever learned was that everything is in place for a reason. And so especially when you come into a leadership role, you instantly have the authority to change anything you want. You might not have the buy-in yet, but you definitely don't have the wisdom to know why Mm -hmm. things are in place. And I would just say the older I've gotten and especially the higher in leadership I go. So I work mostly, the, my last few jobs have been at the executive level mm-hmm. of three or four organizations. Definitely the higher you go, I come in and I'm like, why are we using this system? This is the most archaic system. It's wasting time. It's wasting money. I have learned to never change it for at least six months, if not a year. Usually a year is my standards before I will change something. Yeah that really affects a lot of people because there are a lot of reasons why it's there. If it were easy to fix, someone else would have fixed it. I'm not the only smart person in this organization. And there's been a lot of people more frustrated for longer than I am in my first 30 days. But I can tell that there's a problem. My job is to find out why has no one fixed it yet? Mm -hmm. Oh, three people tried? Oh, none of them work here anymore? Oh, interesting. You know, what broke when they tried to do it? A lot of times we fix things and it makes sense. But what we don't realize is three other things got broken Mm -hmm. when you change that. It's kind of like an old house. You pull down drywall to do whatever and you find mold. And now you got to redo the AC. And now all of a sudden the floors don't work either. And the, the, you know, foundation shifted. So you can, you can really tumble into a lot Mm -hmm. of problems if you don't really assess correctly what it takes. Mm -hmm. So, and I would say that's with people. That's with systems. That's with meetings. All of that takes a lot of time to learn all of those Mm -hmm. things. And then once you understand it, you can make some really good leadership moves and, you know, make things a lot better and help a lot of people. But we have to understand and have a good assessment first. So I would say that's the first thing is to be a learner. The second thing is to remember uh, who you are. Like your gifts are the gifts that God wants in this job now. Mm -hmm. And so the guy who went before you who had different gifts was the guy who was supposed to be there then. Mm -hmm. So I know my top three gifts are administration, teaching, and encouragement. So whether I'm running a parking lot at my church, whether I'm an executive director of leadership development of an organization, which I am now, whether I'm launching a campus, whether I'm a nurse on a floor, I will administrate, I will organize things, I will explain things, I will teach people something, Mm -hmm. and I'll do it hopefully in an encouraging way that makes people feel like they can do it, right? Those are going to always be the way I do it. Maybe you're more pastoral and nurturing in which the first 45 minutes is just checking in on how everybody's weekend was. I try to do that once a week, but sometimes I got stuff we got to get done and we'll get to it next week, you know? So like, but I trust that I'm who I'm supposed to be and Mm -hmm. I'm who the team needs me to be. Now, I care about people. I have, you know, I have disciplines that make for good culture and good team dynamics and I want to be relationally connected to everyone. 
But I also know that's not my primary gift. So I have to do things like have strategies on the agenda to remind myself to do the things that are not naturally my gift. And then know that at some point it's going to end. So you don't get to hold on to every leadership role forever. Even if you're in the same job your entire career, at some point you're going to die or retire. Mm -hmm. And so holding everything with an open hand and letting God bring people and priorities and success and failure in and out as he wills. We have no control over what actually our reputation and our success looks like or doesn't look like. You know, we live for an audience of one. And so it's uh, a much healthier way to do performance and evaluations and taking next jobs or leaving jobs as if we hold it open-handedly. I mentioned that uh, someone had given me your book, Developing Female Leaders, and how it was just such a light bulb moment reading through it. Why do you think it's still so relevant almost five years later since you've written Mm -hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I actually thought I would write the book and then people would sort of get it and I'd move on to something else. And then COVID hit. And then I was like, oh, it's going to be even better than I thought because we all are talking about bias now. You, basically, every human in America knows what unconscious bias is. I'm like, yeah. it's a done deal. I, I literally am probably going to go back to nursing now. My work yeah. here is done. And then two years, you know, went to three years and now we're four years out of COVID. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's actually worse than ever. Uh, so we did have some good movement there in the, you know, 2019 to the early 2020. And then, you know, everything went kind, went kind of crazy. I think, I think we are just still a little stuck in some things. I, I will say in five years, we've seen some incredible book came out. And that wasn't just because of my book. It was really God's timing. I think we have a lot of pastors who's wives are now empty nesters and are like, I'm ready to do something with that seminary degree we Mm -hmm. got together. Or their daughters are coming back from college and saying, dad, you raised me to be a leader. And now I have to like bring baked goods on Tuesday mornings. That's the best I can do. (laughs) And instead of, I think we have a whole generation of Gen X pastors going, wait, you know, the people I love the most have more to offer than I've made space for Mm -hmm. them. And I feel convicted to change that for them and the other women in our churches. And so we see a lot, just God stirring in the hearts of lots of people around that. And for me, just to be clear to your audience, like I don't have a theological agenda in this. Mm -hmm. I actually try to make space for any theological position. We all are doing a terrible job with women, Mm -hmm. whether you embrace women at every level or at almost no level, we all can do better. And so that's my my goal is to try and help you honor your theology, but maximize it to yeah. use women and use their gifts up for the kingdom, mm-hmm. in, especially through local church. So the book really came because I was doing consulting with churches and they were having a trouble launch. I, I work a lot in multi-site. That's mm-hmm. my specialty. Yeah. And they were trying to launch campuses and the thing they were missing was enough leaders. And when uh, I use that little graduate degree I got from the university while I was there in HR. We popped that HR hood. I did a little analysis and we're like, well, you're dropping women like crazy, like in your volunteer levels, let alone in your staff and leadership levels. And so I started digging in. I'm like, these guys are trying so hard to empower women, but they keep putting their foot in their mouth or they keep doing things. And I'm like, they think this is an awesome idea. This is a terrible idea. And I was having kind of a hard time explaining to them why. Like, I knew it was bad, Mm -hmm. but I also had read every leadership book they had and had been to every conference, and I knew why they were doing it. I knew why they thought it was a good idea. And so I did some research to try and figure it out. And very cool God story. I just sort of like pulled this research together for a few churches I was working with and sent it to my friend. I was like, do you think there's anything to this? Like, would you know, do you think I should work on a book proposal? I've tried to write books before. No one ever accepts them. And he's like, you know what? I'm in a conversation next week with a publisher. Let me see what his pulse is on it. 
Well, a week after that, I was on a Zoom call with the publisher and they offered me a contract That's like, awesome. on the fly. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, he says, can you write a book in five months? And I'm like, absolutely. Well, I don't know. Can I? Now that I find out, this is kind of like the amount of research in that book is something people take like two or three years and a doctoral dissertation, by the way, to do. So, but I'm like, if God opens a door and someone says, can you do it? I'm like, yeah, I probably yeah. can figure that out. Mm-hmm. And then you figure it out. And it, I don't know if it's the best book, but it's the one I could write in five months and got mm-hmm. published at exactly the right time. So I'm trusting it was the thing that was meant to be. Well, and it's the one that helps equip leaders to to build those runways. You know, like mm-hmm. it's so obvious that you are a builder through that book because it really is about building these runways. Like that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. And that's what we're Practical trying to do. Practical steps. Yeah. Like it's not just this overarching let's try to do it all together and say we want to do it. It's here's how we're going to do it. Because I think you hear a lot, well, we want that for women. You know, you hear it said out loud, but you rarely see it actually happening, right? And that's what made me, you know, we started with developing female leaders, but even just recently, and I remember because I was following you on socials when you started releasing the 90-day study about finding your leadership voice, and you wrote it specifically for women. And I, I remember it comes with, correct me if I'm wrong, it comes with videos. It comes with all the practical stuff to actually, again, help you do the things that you're writing about. So it's not just a, an idea. It's something you can actually do practically. Do you think, based on that, you know, the 90 days, do you think a lot of women will wait to be told they're a leader? Because, you know, a lot of things you talk about is how women will kind of go kind of he and haw around stuff or waffle back and forth. And it's back to what we talked about, the certainty of a decision. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we feel a little like we can't really be certain. Um, do you think it's because we're waiting for someone to tell us we can be maybe for affirmation or in your experience and research that you did? Do you think many will just sit on the sidelines until someone gives them a leadership role? Yeah, I think it's true for leadership or all sorts of things. So it's called the white horse phenomena. We can thank Disney for this probably, but <laughs> women tend to wait for someone to come like in on a white horse and say, hey, you're good at this mm-hmm. or you are a leader or you should do these things. We want someone else to recognize something in us and affirm it. Mm-hmm. And I, the desire for that is not wrong. I just think humans aren't the ones who can do that for us. I mm-hmm. think that's where God's role in our life really is, is to through his word, and maybe through the community, but mostly through his word in our prayer time to be able to experiment with him and learn what he craft, handcrafted into us and then leverage those things in opportunities that he's given us. Mm-hmm. And when we need other people to recognize things or we sort of wait and cower in the back of the room, hoping to be noticed, you know, as if we're like, you know, in some 80s rom-com where like the guy looks across the room and sees the wallflower, you know, beyond all the girls in the yeah. mini skirts. Like that just never happens. It just never happens. And so, you know, that's where that whole honest and honoring, like yeah. step forward, come into the light. If someone's like, do you know how to dance? Say, yes, I do. You don't have to be like, I'm the best dancer ever. You don't have to like present something Watch me. bigger than yep. who you are. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Elaine. You know, we're saying like, yeah, I can dance. And then do you want to? Well, yes, I do. So mm-hmm. like just being honest about who we are, being honoring to other people. We don't elbow our way to the front, but we also don't cower in the back. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, that moderation of that healthy, assertive, godly leadership voice. That's what I really wanted to write in the book because I was I, I try to spend most of my time working with men about how to make opportunities for women because women men have the power. They have the budget. They can give one to someone a title. They can promote someone. They can give her a raise. They can give her resources. And and for whatever reason, God's allowed me to be in rooms mostly full of men to be Mm -hmm. able to talk about that. Mm -hmm. 
But as I was doing it, women were getting these opportunities. They were getting promotions. They were being invited in. And most of them were miserable. They're intimidated. They're spending hours questioning themselves afterwards. They're uncertain. They, they're like, I don't know who I am in that room. I'm not sure if I belong there. They keep trying to like look for the exit ramp. Mm-hmm. And I, I just started to realize, gosh, in order for us really to lead together, we actually both have to come to the table and we both have to show up in new ways. Mm-hmm. Like men need to come in with new skills and new awareness and capacities. And we as women have to show up and bring ourselves differently mm-hmm. than we've been in the past. And we can do it. God's gifted us. He's anointed mm-hmm. us. You are called. And so when he calls us, he equips us. Sometimes we don't get the equipping till we sit down at the table and start talking, (laughs) but it will show up. You know, it's, it's always a faith step, but there are some things like the white horse syndrome that are the sticky floor. Some of those pieces of research around women, especially if you've grown up in areas of the country or in a family or church that had a lot of gender messages or stereotypes, the thicker those research pieces can apply to you. It's just good to remember that, Mm -hmm. that actually everyone's nervous in this meeting. And so that's not just me. Mm -hmm. And it is hard to interrupt around a leadership table. That's not just me. So I better, I'm just going to learn the skill of interruption. Mm -hmm. Like that's how I'm going to do it. So it doesn't feel so personal. We tend to blame ourselves Mm -hmm. instead of learning the skill set to overcome it. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. As we work towards the end, you know, I think about some women who are in the tension of waiting, right? So they're like, hey, I'm trying to honor. I love how much you use that word because that's probably the one thing I find myself saying is like, honor the leadership that you're under and, you know, work within that. But, but be honest. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, and it's the other part. That's like the two together is what is absolutely just changing my my personal perspective right now. But when you do that, how do you know when you should just continue to wait and honor and be honest? And then what are some just maybe some confirmation flags that, yeah, it's probably time for you. Yeah, I think it's a very personal journey. I would say for the most part, how God speaks to you about anything is how he will speak to you about this. Mm-hmm. So if generally God convicts you of sin in your quiet time, then generally he's going to speak to you about this in your quiet time. Mm. If for the most part, you know, three people affirm things unexpectedly when you have a big decision, he's going to do that about this mm-hmm. too. So this these are not the moves that God's going to do a brand new experience for you yeah. out of the norm, That's right? Good. He knows you. He loves you. You have a longstanding relationship. He's the same God. He's going to show up probably in the same ways. Mm-hmm. I find women and anyone gets into trouble when they secretly want out of something. And so they play the God card of like this t-shirt I saw in the mall spoke to me. I'm like, how, have you had t-shirts speak to you before? No, it's the first time. I'm like, oh, God. No, but God's um, trying something new. He thought I'd yeah, be the first one he'd do it for. <laughs> big high-risk adventure called my career and my church life. Um, so, and then the other thing is, generally speaking, God calls you to something. He doesn't call you away from something. Mm. Mm. I would say the away things come when there is severe harm happening. And I, I've been in some very unhealthy dynamics in ministry. It's not the same as being toxic. Mm-hmm. I know I wanted out of there. I knew I needed to get out of there. I knew God was going to get me out of there, mm-hmm. but I didn't know when. And it always lasted way longer sure. than I thought it should. And in fact, most callings come way before they ever come to fruition, mm-hmm. biblically, in my life, in most people's lives. And so the calling to leave, the calling to something new, the calling to do something, you probably are going to sit with that and wrestle with the tension mm-hmm. of knowing what's coming. You're like Joseph with the dreams, right? Yeah. And he had to get like 
beaten up, sold into slavery, rejected by a few people, you know, wrongly accused of stuff. Like that was a long time in coming before that dream was fulfilled. Still happened, but our expectation is often much faster. Mm -hmm. I would say when there's things that are physically abusive, when you're uh, in danger, when you have chronic emotional abuse. Now, emotional abuse is different than this guy's hot headed. Yeah. Or this one person yells every once in a while. Like those things are uncomfortable and we have to be actively being honest about what's going on with us. So waiting is an active pursuit. It's not a passive pursuit. So honest and honoring as you wait Mm -hmm. and then allowing God to set the time and the pace. God wants us to keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I also believe the same thing about burnout. I really am on a mission to try and help keep people stay in their jobs. Yeah. And so burnout is a real thing, but you can reclaim your work life mm-hmm. and, you know, come out of burnout without having to like leave and start some retreat center or your own <laughs> coaching practice. Like there's more options yes. than those two things. I love so, that so much. Let's I let's stay that. engaged in the work of the Lord. <laughs> that is so good. Okay. So, Katie, we finish every episode with one question, and some people really love it, and some people think it's the absolute worst. So I'm interested to see where you go with it. But what is one thing that you're so happy that someone did tell you about? So this can be anything, right? It can be a piece of advice. It can be a Starbucks drink. It can be a book that you love or a podcast. It's really anything that you're just super into right now. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, the one that comes to mind was advice that my mom gave me, and she said, Katie, when you hit your 40s, I just want you to know that your entire body is going to break down. So don't be so, afraid. At don't least be you afraid. know it's coming, right? Well, I was so glad. That's why I wanted to pass it on. I'm like, I was so glad she told me that because in my 40s, my body did break down. I felt so young yeah. to be having so many things go wrong. But then here's what she followed up. She goes, but if you take care of it in your 40s, your 50s are kind of like the recovery years. Mm-hmm. She goes, and then your 60s and are amazing. And she goes, my friends who didn't take care of their stuff in their 40s had struggles in their 50s and their 60s have been difficult. Mm. She said, so take care of it. And I got to my 40s and I'm like, I'm seeing physical therapists. I had to have a hysterectomy. I'm like, got teeth going wrong. I'm getting glasses. And I'm like, mom, blah, blah, blah. She goes, I told you. I tried to warn you. you." And I'm like, I thought you just meant I was going to have to buy like a more expensive bra. I'm going to have to like go to a real store and get like sized or something. I didn't think I was going to like meet thousands of dollars in coke. Listen, I know it's true in my late 30s now. I'm like, listen, I'm already feeling it. It's coming for me. I get it. Oh, that's so great. Do not be afraid, ladies. Do not be afraid. You will get through it. Take care of it as you can you know, invest in the exercise class, buy the trainer, just do go to it. the doctor, yes. just do it. It's worth it later. I love it. Hey, Katie, before I let you go, make sure everybody knows where to find you, what's available resource wise that they can jump in on all that good stuff. Sure. The best way to find me is at my website or online. Same handle. It's my name, Katie Cold, spelled K-A-D-I-C-O-L-E.com or just at Katie Cole on socials. And then I've got a monthly newsletter that I love to send out that's just full of resources, particularly around this idea of being a woman in leadership and articles and resources and conferences that might be of interest to you, things that I'm learning along the way about it. 
And then I've got books and resources and video curriculum and things online and then upcoming events if you want to come see me in person while I'm traveling. So much good stuff. Seriously, I got to go through all of it when I was researching for this podcast. So I can attest it is good stuff to go after and look at. Katie, thank you so much for jumping in with us. I know this will be so valuable for so many. I'm just so grateful for you. Thank you so much, Callie. Appreciate you and all that you're doing in the kingdom and helping leaders. 